Welcome to the Quadcast audience as well as the Coaching Through Chaos audience. We're doing a dual cast here, and I have with me, and I am with her, uh, Dr. Colleen Mullen from the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Welcome. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, we're going to share the mics today and do this together. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm honored to be on, on your show because you get a lot of smart people on there talking about some, some cool stuff that, that helps you know veterans and, and anybody else who's in a relationship or might be struggling. You talk about some smart stuff. What do you guys do over there? Yeah, so we produce a weekly show, the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, and I interview authors and experts in their field. Uh, it is uh, like a self-education show, and once a month we do a feature that's just for those who serve. So we feature organizations that are there to help veterans, law enforcement, and firefighters, uh, and those that support them is a monthly feature. And then now we're also doing stories of personal stories of resiliency. We have um, so many great episodes coming up from various authors. We're going to talk about narcissism. Uh, there's one on forgiveness. There's one on super commuters, which I didn't even know what that was. But wow. you know, there's couples out there where one lives in Michigan and the other commutes to work in New York mm -hmm. and they raise a family and everything. So that's a super commuter. So we've got lots of interesting wow. stuff coming up and we just finished 24 episodes. So wow. we've been really thrilled with it. And there's a whole collection on coachingthroughchaos.com where people can check out all of season one. So you talk about like smart stuff and, and we just talk about goofy stories from our lives. And But you and I share something in common. We're both therapists. That's right. That's right. And uh, so I always have like some type of different spin on it uh, that has to do with you know something that I would have learned and picked up and utilized in, in my practice. And, you know, I sit down with my buddy Swanee. Uh, who works, he works in brain surgery. So yeah, he's, he's got working with, at least I don't think he's so smart, but um, he, he, uh, he works with a lot of smart guys. He works with brain surgeons and I guess, I guess I'll give it to him. He is, he is kind of smart because he invents tools to, to use in brain surgery and different techniques and things like that. It's amazing to me the, the uh, innovation that's still happening in all of those brain surgery areas and how, they, how they're working on sharing the information so that you can get great brain surgery anywhere. I guess so, but we don't even talk about that. We talk about silly yeah. things from our lives and, and things from the, from, we, we really are our comedy storytelling podcast and the contents from our lives. So if we can poke fun at ourselves, you know, to me, the job is done. Right. Your show's been a lot of fun to listen to, and uh, just your little commentary on life has been fun to listen to. And so today we're going to do a little bit of both. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some psych stuff, about um, what's called EMDR, and then we're also going to talk about artificial intelligence and the movies and how they're portrayed and how that might apply to us yeah. in our lives. You took a little, you took a little umbrage with the show I did on, uh, on Ex Machina, the movie, about AI and said it was more about a, you know, like a, a teenager's dream of what he wishes a girl was. So, you know, <laughs> yes. I said, all right, let's, let's, let's bring on a lady to get <laughs> it, right. to come from this perspective. Um, but before we do that, yeah, there was, I wanted to talk, I don't, I'm not an expert on EMDR. I am trained in EMDR. Um, and what those the letters mean, and I can, I'll go into some of the details about it, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So it's a, it's a therapeutic technique primarily designed for people who have a PTSD, anxiety disorders, social phobias, things like that. And um, when, when I heard about your podcast and, and you wanted to learn more about EMDR, I thought, well, that's perfect because EMDR, I, 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 can, I can tell you uh, 
I'll tell you what it does, but before I do that, I'll tell you why it's, to me, it sounds like hocus pocus, but why it's not. Right, well, I have, it's one of the, I'll say one of the few kind of uh, trainings that I have not gone to, because I like to go to lots of trainings, and for some reason I've avoided EMDR, because maybe because of the hocus pocus <laughs> side of it. I hear yeah. about tapping, I hear yep. about breathing and touching mm -hmm. the clients, and I work N not psychodynamically, but probably more on that line than the um, uh, that more proactive kind of stance with some of my, my trauma clients. But it is a really good research-based trauma therapy. So, so why don't you tell us about like why um, why you got into it or how you um, got around well, what you had heard of it? Yeah, I I got dragged into it, um, and really the the reason I got dragged into it is because my my uh, my boss, I guess, at, at the centers thought that it would be a really good therapy technique. And the reason I think a lot of therapists haven't done uh, EMDR is because of the vast amount of training you have to get. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, I forget, it was three or four days twice. Uh, so we, it, was a, it was a lot of training. And, and really, you kind of go, all right, I don't know that I believe in it to start off with. And then you go through all the training and you learn about you know, how valid it is and how it helps people. And then all the different organizations that get behind it and you kind of go, all right, this is weird. I don't, I don't touch my clients. Uh, it's, it's more, uh, I, this was a weird part too, it's more finger waving. Um, you're, you're, oh, but now we've graduated and we have a light bar that, that where a, basically a light goes back and forth, left and right. So um, that's bilateral stimulation. So they call it BSM. Um, even though I think that when I think about it, bilateral stimulation, um, it's, it's, it's more BS. It's bilateral stimulation. Because well, bilateral is one word. Yes. Yeah, so when, when uh, so for people listening and they're hearing about finger waving back and forth yes. and bilateral stimulation of their <laughs> eyes with a light source, is this a form of hypnosis? You, you I might, wonder if that's what people are going to think. Yeah, and, and people people often do, and it's and it it's not hypno hypnosis because you never are not aware of yourself. You know, there's never any suggestions or basically what it does. And uh, Francine Shapiro, who's the one who uh, developed this EMDR, and what she did was she she the funny thing is she was just like out outside walking through a park, and uh, she was was thinking about things like we all do, kind of ruminating on the stresses of the day and of the future and whatever. And she noticed that as she looked up in the sky, she was looking at the kites. And as she looked back and forth at the different kites, she began to relax a little. And she said, well, that's interesting. And uh, kind of really pursued this. Uh, it, it, it's not hypnosis. And the thing I like about it is you're not, well, I would say you're not going under and you're also not talking about all of the details of whatever trauma it is so let me so let me just let me tell you a little bit uh, about it and then I'll tell you a little bit about why what the what the theories are behind it um, basically what it is is it's for folks who have been through what they call single trauma single event trauma uh, PTSD or you know a series of event trauma like maybe war would be a series of events trauma or multiple things that fit into the same category. So what happens is um, people begin to experience post-traumatic stress disorder and um, or anxiety around certain things. And what the idea behind uh, EMDR is that that it's 
the um, the memories of the events get stuck in the in a, like an emotional part of our brain. Okay, so in in that system, and every time we have something that reminds us of that event or um, uh, it makes us think about things that are similar to those events, then our mind does creates a pathway um, of thinking back into that emotion, and it so it kind of like taps it. And so all of a sudden you have these overreactions. Now it could be an, an argument with your spouse. It could be something at work. It could be you know someone pulling out in front of you, which traumatizes you based on you know the history of trauma that you've had with car crashes or being out of control. Yeah, those types of things. And so what EMDR does is, or the the premise is, is that those emotions get get locked in there, and um, we over respond emotionally. So our brain activity heightens when, when these things, these, these little traumas tra tap our big traumas, okay? So, so we're not reprocessing and, and, and so we're just responding and reacting out of our history, which kind of we, we believe, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, huh? you know, even psychodynamic, right? You know, it goes, goes into your history. But the difference is that this is, it blends that bilateral stimulation. Some people, the eyes, the going back and forth, like waving your hands in front of them, um, it, 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 it makes them like seasick. So they uh -huh. also have buzzers you can hold in your hand. They can also oh. have the client tap their knees with their hands back and forth, left, right, left, right. Um, and so I think that's, that's probably, oh, they also have headphones. Okay, so you can have sounds on either side. And the idea is to, to just to make it very, very simple. And I don't claim to be an expert, but I know enough to do it. And I guess I know enough to be dangerous while talking about it. Okay, great. So, so, uh, and then what does, what, so that calms them as they talk about the experience. Is that right? All uh, that stimulation? No, no. What it does first, the first thing you do. Okay. So it's, they say it takes like eight phases, but the, but like the first phase is just, um, going through the history. Like what, what are your history of traumas? Okay. So say you had somebody who was raped. Okay. So yeah. their, their, their history of trauma was that single incident. We can make it simple. Okay. So they were walking down the street or do, walking down a path at night and somebody jumped out of the bushes or maybe it's a date rape situation, whatever it is. So you get the history and then you ask them, you know, has anything like that been, you know, in your history before? Okay. So you kind of get the big T of single event and then maybe any little T's that have happened because maybe since then, you know, she was walking to her car in a parking lot and it started to traumatize her mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, she, someone started to yell like similarly to the guy, you know, did before he attacked her or when he was attacking her or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you do, that's phase one. Then what you do is phase two, which is, I call your happy place. I mean, it's really not, it's your safe place. It's your calm place. And so you need to have that kind of visualization embedded in your brain so that if if and when you get to a very emotional place later during the EMDR treatment you can the therapist can take you back and calm you down okay mm -hmm. so you don't just send you know you might take a, a client through you know some very traumatic events from their childhood or some uh, you know uh, a P some other PTSD situation and you've got to box them up right I mean there's yes, literally a visual Right, so there's literally a visualization of t you know boxing up the stress, taking it out into the middle of the ocean, dropping it in there. Mm. You know this this whole this whole process. But there's also the the happy place or safe place that you can use to calm yourself at the end of the session, in the middle of the session, if you get overstimulated, and you can use out in the real world. So um, and that's when they want you to do the the 
the, the bilateral stimulation yourself. Like you can give yourself, like if you fold your arms and just tap your hands back and forth, that's bilateral stimulation. So that mm -hmm. invokes the same relaxation. So, so far all we've done is go through the trauma and the safe place. Then what we do is, um, you know, you identify, it's, here's where it gets cognitive. You identify what that, what you're saying to yourself, what your negative cognition is, right? I'm no good. I'm not safe. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. I'm not, you know, whatever, adept. I'm not smart. I'm whatever these things are. So, so you, you pick from, there's a list or you can make up your own of what your negative cognition that goes along with that traumatizing event. And mm -hmm. then you rate that on a scale, right? Of, uh, it's suds, subjective units of disturbance scale. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, get, you get kind of a baseline. How, how traumatizing is this and how true is that belief? Then you pick a positive cognition. You know, I'm capable, I'm able, I'm safe. Um, I, can, I can do any, everything to I need to do it. Yep, yeah. to keep myself safe, safe in this situation. Then you start to go through the EMDR proper. Okay. And that, and that is there. It's, it, it's, it's a lot of waving your hands in front of them and saying, all right, think about the event. What are you getting? And then the client says, well, I'm, I'm, you know, in the parking lot and I'm looking over my shoulder and I hear footsteps and okay, go with that. And then you do the bilateral stimulation for a little bit till you mm -hmm. see kind of a change or whatever you, and so you're really watching your client and their nonverbals and their breathing and all those things and you say, all right, what are you getting now? And then they say, um, you know, I, uh, the, the, I feel this hand on my shoulder and it's okay, great. Go with that. I mean, it's a lot. It really, sometimes yeah. as I do it as a therapist, I'm like, I really, you shouldn't be paying me because what am I doing? You know, all I'm saying is go with that. Uh-huh. Tell me more. Uh -huh. Go with that. See, and I'm, I'm listening to you talk about it and I'm thinking it sounds like such a connected, intense experience with the client because you are really having to watch their their uh, non-verbals mm -hmm. while they're just telling their story and so you're having to stay really in tune with where they're at to keep them safe and calm as you're doing the bilateral stimulation yeah and in order um, so to enhance it's pretty intense in, in order to enhance that to get me out of the way more we did get a light bar light bars are very expensive because um, you oh, can yeah. control the pacing of the light bar and it comes with the little um, little things that you hold in your hands um, that buzz and then it comes with the headsets and the whole thing. But we finally invested in that because I wanted to get more out of it. As I'm waving my hand, I'm like, all right, this is, this is I, I, I want to need to stop worrying about my speed of how fast I'm oh, yeah. moving left and right and just really focus on the client. But, but the reason I say it's kind of like, you're disconnected um, is because it's not the traditional therapy where I'm like, okay, well, tell me more about that. What was that like? It was really more, okay, what are you getting? Okay, great. Go with that. And what basically the concept is, is you go back into the event, the event that you have been re-experiencing is jumping in your head over and over and over. You try to push it down. You try to do your cognitive stuff. You try to, you try to actually physically do something differently. So you're, you know, breaking it up and you're not perseverating and, and staying in that scary moment, but you're taking back to the world. Like I went back to, for me, when, when we practice, I went back to a childhood experience where I really felt like my dad had demoralized me, right? It just crushed me as a, I was 12 or 13. And so I went back there and and I realized that I could bring my, this positive cognition and see my dad as a person and he really wasn't hurting me and he wasn't trying to. He was just being an idiot because he's a dad and doing whatever dads do. And he wasn't thinking about his, his son and how it impacted him. So it, right. the, the, the oftentimes people will come back after they've kind of 
reduce their, their level of intensity for the event and say, yeah, I can see it, I can still experience it, but it's almost like I'm hovering above it. I'm not in it anymore. I, I, I'm able to see the situation in a totally different way and it doesn't just, just um, flood me with the emotions anymore. So it's not like it erases anything or undoes anything. It just creates new neural pathways that basically de derail those, those uh, negative cognitions into the positive cognitions. And because of the bilateral stimulation, it's actually changing the brain chemistry. They've done um, SPECT scans on the brain activity and how it, how it changes at pre and post EMDR. So it's really doing something differently in the brain. That's amazing, and that's how when we talk about empirical research and, and things that are substantiated with things, when we can certainly, I mean, if you're taking scans of the brain and seeing different activity pre and post treatment, that's pretty amazing. And and it's rare in, in psychotherapy to have that kind of um, change happen. So, and it sounds like it really, the change in the neural pathways really depersonalizes it for the person, mm -hmm. like helps repair yep. what, what went on so that when you say they're hovering over the, over themselves. I've heard that and I've heard that in other areas of trauma repair mm -hmm. in different theories and um, and it really helps the person, yes, not personalize it so that they get a new way of kind of moving forward in their life. Yeah, you think about it, if you're talking about like something, let's take something easy, like something from childhood that was traumatizing, maybe abuse or molest or something like that. You're still thinking as a, whatever, let's say you're five, as a five-year-old yeah. child. You're not thinking right. about, you're thinking about, oh man, I can't get away. I'm, I was victimized, that smell. Um, here it comes again, here comes the light. You know, here comes the that anger and that abuse. And you go back into that being a child. And this takes you back with your adult skills and your adult brain and you you change the cognition and it's no there's there's no real hocus pocus but it doesn't feel it's it's not normal this is the not the normal way that that we're used to therapy yes. impacting and making changes in people right and there are a lot of different trauma therapies out there like like the one that I've been trained in is a uh, trauma focused cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. where you're rewriting the narrative mm -hmm. so it's they're different they have different approaches different time lengths and um it just gives people options yeah, for, let me, let me, for let me what just, might work for them. Let me just jump into a little bit of, the, of a short version of some of the some of the ways that this has been validated. I mean, like yeah, that'd okay, be so, great. So the American Psychological Association, Division of Clinical Psychology, um, says that EMDR is one of is it's on the list of the empirical empirically validated methods for treatment of PTSD. Um, International Society of Traumatic Stress Studies says that EMDR is an effective treatment. Let's see, there's something in the UK. Okay, here, EMDR is endorsed by the American Red Cross, the FBI, the International Critical Incident Stress Management Foundation, um, and major health maintenance organizations such as Kaiser and Value Options. Um, in this one, you'd be interested in. EMDR courses are being taught at that time in over 30 colleges and universities and as part of the standard treatment in many VA hospitals. So um, basically what they do is now they have uh, groups of EMDR therapists, which you can go to emdr.com. Let me see if it's EMDR. Yep, emdr.com has all their information frequently asked questions, what the treatment's like, because it's not, it's not like if you know what they're gonna do, you're gonna somehow counteract it. It's not like uh, that, you know, you go to the- Experiment the or expectation, yeah. Right, and it actually has been shown effective on people who don't believe in it, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's, 
it's not the belief that works. It's the actually the re. The, it's the actual stimulation that's doing it. It's not about like hypnosis where you have to be open and vulnerable and able to go under. Right. It's the stimulation that's actually helping the person change the neural pathway. So as long as they're doing the stimulation and going through the motions with you, mm -hmm. it actually changes the the pathways it sounds like yeah the actual brain and yeah. and they found now that the sooner they can get to victims of uh, a, a critical incident or a, a, a yes. PTSD type thing that the the faster so what they're doing now is groups of EMDR therapists are part of the, the Red Cross trauma team they'll go to floods and earthquakes and things like that yeah. and do EMDR with people and so that it doesn't settle in so the neural pathways don't get blocked and then they can actually get through it and past it quicker. Right, I know, and I would, I, I, I know that the the government. I don't know if they're using EMDR, but there's even military um, people doing getting at the trauma on bases when it happens in the war um, theater. So uh, it's. I was glad that you talked about that. That the sooner they get to it, the sooner the e the better chance it is at being repaired. Mm -hmm. And the, I think the great thing about EMDR is that it's not known as a long-term uh, process. Right. It's something that goes through a certain amount of sessions, or at least a, a base amount of sessions, and that's where it can become an efficient way to treat all of this oh, very, trauma. Very much true. Uh, well, let's see. Some studies show that 84 to 90 percent of single trauma victims no longer have PTSD after only three 90-minute sessions. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, their, their normal courses they say you know eight to 12, but that's it, what I thought. Yeah, yeah you kind of you kind of they they have big traumas and little traumas. And basically the whole idea is to make so make every trauma that you can identify um, to uh, to the level of the suds level of zero. So mm -hmm. where it, the subject, sub, subjective units of disturbance, which is just a fancy way to say, how stressful does this thing make you, um, yes. it, is all the way down to zero. So you don't quit until you're done. And this, and when you picture, you know, that dead body on the ground, creates no emotional response or it, it doesn't disturb you. It doesn't turn you into a robot like we're gonna talk about later. But That's right. uh, the idea is that it's it's it you're able to control your response and not just have this visceral unconscious reaction anymore. And it doesn't yeah, it doesn't mean something that hurts you. Like trauma. Right. Right. Doesn't traumatize you. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I've 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 used it a little bit. My coworker has used right. it quite a bit more and um you know, Yet, I was wondering, do you see a lot of trauma in your practice? I, I'm not sure who you actually work with. Nah, you know what? Yeah. I've, I've moved. We have a we have a center, so I, I'm mostly a clinical supervisor. I probably keep five to ten clients, and half half of those are divorcing couples. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm helping them divorce or figure out child custody or, or some type of non-recommending mediation and things like that. So I, I haven't got into, I mean, I've, I haven't got in those worlds, although um, I just went to a training and the lady's like, look, that's all I did and I'm retired. I could fill five practices with the people who are calling me asking for EMDR because everybody knows that it's effective and it's not just PTSD. It's used in all kinds of anxiety situations, even used in depression Um you, you could mm -hmm. see how it would translate to a, a bunch of different uh, diagnoses. 
Well, I was thinking even if someone's going through really bad divorce mm-hmm. and they were seeing somebody individually, they might that might be helpful just in moving past so that they can have a healthy relationship in the future, um, just to kind of repair some of the damage that has gone on if it was a particularly bad or abusive relationship. Well, and we know yeah. that, that people in relationships are often trying to work out relationships from their past. Absolutely. So if, if you're getting triggered by your spouse every time they do or say a certain thing, and that because that reminds you, maybe you don't, not as formally, but it really does remind you of when you were powerless and responding to your dad and he was over overbearing and you had no control and power and all of a sudden your mm-hmm. wife asked you to take the, out the garbage and you punch her in the nose, maybe you've had some trauma <laughs> and you need to start to work through that. So... Yeah, it definitely could. If only, and if only for um, you know your safe place or calm place. You know who yeah. does who couldn't use that when they're feeling stressed out. You know once you settled it, That's and right. because of the bilateral stimulation, it's different than just uh, normal visualization and mindfulness. Hmm. Well, that was really. Um, informative. I mean, like I, that's probably the mo- the best understanding I've gotten of EMDR in a long time. So, and it's just so, the tip of the iceberg. Just go, I know, go right? there and look at all the research because after you hear some, it, I mean, it's like turns into a religion, but it's not, but you know, I mean, people just believe in it so much that they turn their whole practice into that. Well, and that goes on a lot. Like I've done uh, special trainings, like the T- the TFCBT, and then I've done the Gottman training, and, mm-hmm. and it does. When you say it becomes like a religion, yeah. when people learn these new things, like we've all got our masters. Some of us have the doctorate too, yeah. and even so, we're going on to these other camps of trainings. And sometimes when they just connect for you, they become, oh my gosh, this is it, and this is what what I should be practicing now. So I think over time of how many times I've drank the Kool-Aid and bought yeah. into some of these and they're great. And I don't mean bought in in a bad way. Like it's been a really great right. thing. It's enhanced my practice. I think it's really good f- for people to have multiple trainings and different things on these big evidence-based practices so that we can all have like a really well-rounded abilities when it comes to treating people, because we know one size doesn't fit all uh, as far as treatment goes for, for different things. Yeah, it's just another tool in your toolbox. That's um, right. So, yeah, I know it's like as I get older, I'm like, dang it, by the time I, it's time for me to stop doing this, I'm going to be pretty good. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just in time to retire. Yeah, I want to go back and apologize <laughs> to all my previous clients. You know, I really wasn't that good back then. Uh, <laughs> give you half your money back. I used back. to think that about my teaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, because you keep getting better, right? Right. Well, um, so you're ready to turn turn our eyes on the uh, the more fun analysis of uh, human relationships because it's right. not that different from from some of what I as you know as I guess it's kind of like you were just talking about when you get a training or become aware of certain things and you kind of dive into it you start to see it all over and um, yeah. so as we as we wanted to talk about AI I started seeing some EMDR stuff because they you know talked about you know have I just learned to feel this way about you. And it's like, well, yeah, and uh, we can break that up with EMDR. We can train you to feel differently about that person, or you can train yourself to feel differently about that person. But, but what if that person's not a person? Can you have a real relationship? I mean, we, we, were, right. we were joking around before we started. Like, I'm like, well, as far as I know, you're a computer. You know, That's I, right, because we've never actually met in person. Right. So we just turned the screen on, and here we are. Yeah, we're Max Headroom right here. <laughs> so. 
So, right. So, um, so that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about AI. And for you, you were seeing like EMDR and different things. And I was seeing AI around us and yeah. looking at how we as humans want to be close to that. So I guess when we come back, we're going to talk about all of that. All right. Well, and let's... some of the movies that influenced all this thinking. And where we're going from here. All right. So that's let me right. just uh, start with a, a clip from her. Um, and, uh, okay, here you go. Why do I love you? And then I felt everything in me just let go of everything I was holding on to so tightly and it hit me that I don't have an intellectual reason. I don't need one. I trust myself. I trust my feelings. I'm not going to try to be anything other than who I am anymore and I hope you can accept that. I can. I will. You know, I can feel the fear that you carry around and I wish there was something I could do to help you let go of it because if you could I don't think you'd feel so alone anymore so that was a clip from the movie Her um, which you which you hit me to um, and we also have clips from Ex Machina but that yeah. one to me it was one of the, the reasons I pulled it is because I agreed with everything she said except for I trust my feelings that's the one I was holding, the line I was holding on to as well, is this idea that the computer, and, and for those that don't know, this is a movie where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his operating system, mm -hmm. and so do most of the other people in the movie, and his operating system happens to be Scarlett Johansson's voice. Yeah, very convenient. That's right. <laughs> and, um, and this idea that computers will have feelings and you know emotions that they can connect with people on that level is something that i think is the new movement in the fantasy world of where we're going with computers yeah would you i don't know i, I don't know that i'd uh, want that or would it be real i mean that's that's the that's the trick right because we, we can we can get a computer that can think logically that can process you know uh, information at, a, at, a, at an amazing speed but what yeah. what is it that makes that human connection more rich than you know just that two-dimensional information exchange well and that's what i was thinking too like can we teach it because but it's logic and logic is an emotion because we can say if in the case of the movie mm -hmm. the the idea is that the operating system gets to know the owner mm -hmm. and it tailors its relationship to the owner so it becomes this ideal version of a relationship for them and you know we can say well if this happens then this would be the emotion mm -hmm. but that's not i mean and that is how you can get by in a basics in the basics of a relationship you can know and mimic and say well if this happens i should say this like how we do sometimes with couples and say well if she needs this say this to her right. or if he needs this say this but i think there's that added you know we lose when we talk about ai and humans we talk about you know there's not that human touch and there's not mm -hmm. that in uh, that intensity that comes with looking into human eyes mm -hmm. uh that part that that's where the disconnect I think happens that for me it always feels like well it's never really going to be what they're portraying in the movies well and that was the other thing first of all i don't even know i think we've talked about several movies but is it always a female ai is that are we just portraying that that men are no 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 actually this movie i i in our prep i mentioned this old movie uh demon seed oh. and <laughs> 
from 1977. It's Julie Christie is the main actress, but the operating system is a male, essentially, and it impregnates Julie Christie by force because it wants to reproduce the AI. Oh, okay. And keep the line going. Kind of the blended... So, singularity yes. there. So that was one where I could think of, because otherwise in the modern day ones I can think of uh, as, um, well, would we consider Terminator AI? Sure, I mean, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, there's all that and then Skynet and everything. Right. So, but those, um, those, those were but, not trying to create relationships, right? That no, was, but the ones that try and create relationships, the only ones I can think of are, are female AI. Right, which which I guess is is ideal for a man, right? Because if you can, what's the line from uh, Jack Nicholson's movie where it's, you know, she asks, how do you write women so well? And he says, just take out reason and accountability. And you have a woman. So, so, right. I mean, so men want to see emotions. We'd like to, as as emotions as an ancillary product of relationship and not central. And yet, as we move from this intellectual level of AI, in order to make it real, they got to add the emotions. And it's kind of off putting for guys. Well, and I think, uh, you know, and, and the stereotype is that the guys are the ones creating the machinery and so they're creating their ideal version of what their relationship or female would look like or be like so i think that's why we find that in some of these like like ex machina and and her um but in her it was a two-way street there were you know the general population people lonely people essentially were falling mm-hmm. in love with their operating systems man or a woman right and we t- we talk a little i mean we we run into that a little bit but we're 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 dealing with people and the integration of computers and cell phones into relationships not mm-hmm. the computer itself it's what's what it's transmitting that's interesting right is it facebook is it you know right. your social connections and all these other things um that that are the end product not the unit itself which um well, there was a little there's a piece in uh ex machina uh, where where the female ai is ava is talking to uh caleb our our tester of ai and she talks like this do you want to be my friend of course will it be possible why would it not be our conversations are one-sided you ask circumspect questions and study my responses yes you learn about me and i learn nothing about you that's not a foundation on which friendships are based so what, you want, you want me to talk about myself? Yes. <laughs> where, okay, where do I start? It's your decision. I'm interested to see what you'll choose. So relationship requires exchange, even with the AI. She's saying, sure, I can get to know you, but you don't, or you get to know me, but I don't get to know you. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of looking at that and interesting that it was the AI challenging the human mm-hmm. about that. Uh, it almost sounded like at the beginning of a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. You learned something about me. <laughs> it's and I learned one, one-sided. Well, um, and that, and that, is, that is, as a therapist, that's our job, right? My big yes. job is to remove... Right. We're not looking to be friends right. with the client. You're paying me to, to remove myself from yes. this conversation and use what I've been trained in 
but just enough to make a connection with you so that we have a, a therapeutic relationship, but it's entirely different than a social relationship or a romantic relationship or any other things that right. people get into. So does it, does it require, you, you said, you know, that look into the eyes and the human flesh. Do you feel like, I mean, you, you have a, a podcast coming up about distance relationships. There's so many ways to connect. You and I are connecting over Skype right now. Um, is there... Is it necessary to be face-to-face -face with someone to have that type of relationship? Well, I think a lot of people would, <laughs> would differ <laughs> on this because we have a whole realm of people these days that are falling in love over the internet mm -hmm. and then meeting up in person. Yeah. And many times they don't do the face-to-face. -face. They just do messaging and chatting and emails and things like that. I, I believe it is one of the qualities that separates us from, you know, that... Uh, it, it makes us, um, I believe it's one of our connecting um, features is being able to be face to face and have that human touch. I mean, when we, when we work with injured kids, I mm -hmm. mean, we know that they are long for hugging and human touch yeah. and it's okay. And they want someone to cuddle them and, and make them feel safe. And I think as we get older, and certainly when we look at populations of people who are who have had difficult relationships. You know, we all come from somewhere and it's so comforting to have human touch mm -hmm. and in the way that skin feels and um, ways that even in like ex machina, the idea is that they are, have a layer of flesh on the outside. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would venture to guess if that was all real, it would not be quite the same right. <laughs> as the human. Well, it is, is it, and then there is there something intuitively in ourselves that we know that it's, it's not a natural feeling or response, it's a programmed response? Well, you know, people, people love to see what they want to see. So I think the full answer on that last question was, I think lots of people can have relationships however they want them to be when they believe they're getting what they need. I, I'm from the camp where I feel like I need the in-person, the look in the eyes and yeah. the touch. Um, so, but there are definitely people that that I believe can do that. So when you say, well, if they were there with the AI, would they instinctively know? And I think that if in their mind they believe that this is what they've always been waiting for and this is ideal for them, you know, they could probably be all right for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things I picked up in the, in the her version of, of AI was... It, of course, it started out as ideal from his perspective, right? He's get this AI. She knows everything about him. She's ex always available to him, never has any needs of her own. There's really no exchange. It's simply a service, right? I mean, that's, and that's like, so in that way, it's, it's like, yeah, you love me, but you don't have any other choice than to love me. You know, you don't, you're not making, you're not make choosing me out of a variety of different, different people that you could interact with I'm the only one you got and you're gonna love me so there's some of that that feels less genuine and also boy isn't that perfect wouldn't it be great to have a relationship that you never actually have to take care of the other person or modify yourself at all in order to stay or be in relationship with someone that's right that the person was designed for them in in essentially in service of them yeah yeah, that's, um, that's a good deal if you can get it, but I think it lacks. <laughs> it, it's true. It lacks depth, though, right? Yes. If you're there's there's something about 
doing for other people and and serving them at your own sacrifice that brings you closer together with a person. If it's just this person is there like a fan, right? I've never had it, but I can imagine that, you know, a fan is totally enamored with those that person that they're a fan of. They would do anything. And yet the person who's be, being fanned, I guess, or the star in this case, it looks at that other person and says, well, they're just a fan. They don't know me. They don't have a relationship. They're not demanding or interested in anything other than my attention. They accept me just the way I am. There's no stretch. There's no growth. There's no connection because there's no relational exchange. Yes. And I think that the relational exchange and uh, so I guess I can be built in, but I think there's, as you say, it, the depth of what you can get from human to human, I don't think can be replicated by AI. <laughs> so, okay, so here's a, here's a clip where uh, they're, they're building their relationship and uh, he's talking. That's a good skill you have. You're very perceptive. Yeah, you know, sometimes I look at people and I make myself try and feel them as more than just a random person walking by. I imagine like how deeply they've fallen in love or how much heartbreak they've all been through. I can feel that in your writing too. Yeah, you know what's funny? Since my breakup, I haven't really enjoyed my writing. I don't want to fall as delusional, but sometimes I'd write something and I'd be my favorite writer that day. I like that you can say that about yourself. I don't think I can say it to anybody, but I feel like I can say it to you. I feel like I can say anything to you. That's nice. Yeah. What about you? You feel like you can say anything to me? No. So, ultimate acceptance, right? Isn't that what we want yes. in a relationship? Or do uh, we? Yes, and oh, ultimate acceptance? Oh, yeah. I, I think we do. Um, I, I guess there's times when we don't. There are times when people engage in things and they go, well, gosh, I wish my partner would just have said right. this, you know, this bothered you, right. or I wish that this, you know, that, you know, people talk about how they change their bodies over the years and say, well, and then they resent them as a woman and they go, oh, well, you know, like he should have said, hey, I can see you're gaining weight, you know, or something like <laughs> oh, yeah. that. <laughs> that would and, go and, over well like, at my and, house. And then, then when you're, then when you're, right, no, nobody wants it when oh, it's no. happening, but then when they're trying to lose it, well, why did they keep saying how pretty they were, you know, and all that, didn't mm -hmm. they see? So I, I think where there's a caveat on that, yeah, yes, acceptance we want genuine acceptance maybe not absolute so if so. you take it if you take it out of a romantic relationship say it's one of your 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 best friends um like I, when i was in college i had a, a one of my best friend actually best friend to this day um and he said you know what the way what you're doing in life uh, i don't i can't stand behind it i'm i'm, I'm not going to hang out with you if you're going to involve yourself in in that type of world and i went whoa uh so you're my buddy but apparently if i'm uh, you know, doing things that you don't like, you don't approve of it, then I guess we're not. So, but that, but actually because of who it came from and how it came, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I am going down the wrong path here. And I had to look at myself and say, all right, is, 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 is this activity worth giving up this friendship because he, he's not approving of me? So, so yeah, I think, I think I don't want somebody to just go along if I'm screwing up my life. Certainly. And that I think is a, a, is a healthy thing to be able to do and share in a relationship, friendship, intimate relationship or otherwise, uh, even as a, a working colleague mm -hmm. relationship. Um, I'm sure we all know people who are like 
going down different paths and will say, hey, I'm wondering why you're doing that. You know, it doesn't seem to fit with what you're saying you want to be doing in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a wonderful thing. And that's acceptance and you're able to accept the feedback from them Mm -hmm. uh, in that in that exchange. So. All right. So here's here's something I've been I've been running with. It's kind of on this theme about relationships. Um, probably four or five months I've been, been saying it and I've kind of modified it, but I'd say that health, the, the key to healthy relationships, no, the key to happy relationships is to never expect anybody else to change their behavior and never be able to try, try to change anybody else's thoughts. So I, if we're, if I'm going to be in a relationship with my wife, let's say I have to say that I accept her hundred percent, whatever she does, whatever she says, that's who she's going to be. I'm not going to try to change her behavior. Right. Cause we go out to, to social events and I'm like, why'd you say that? Or no, don't do that. Or, you know, I, the ride home from the first few years of my marriage, I, I get man, the ride home from social engagements. Apparently I was a big screw up socially because I would say <laughs> things that she didn't like. And, um, so I've, I've started to work on this. Like, okay, how do I, like my wife, I say she likes to make me a better man, let's say, or change me. Um, that's yes. another way to say it. That's so, the other way. <laughs> right. So, but if I'm, but if I'm really going to, going to apply this, you know, the key to happy relationships is not to try to change someone else's behavior or thoughts, then I can't change that about her. Right. So I want her to uh, immediately, my first thought was, well, she needs to adopt my philosophy. She should stop trying to change me. Oh, wait, then I'm trying to change her. So I just have to accept that that's who she is, and then maybe we can grow closer together. But to me, the, my biggest struggles in relationships are trying to change other people. Well, yes, I think that I think that we somehow kind of because we live in a culture that says we need to keep changing ourselves. So I think it just translates into well, that means that we're also our partners always need to be changing as well, mm-hmm. um, and so it's that striving kind of behavior. But yes, I think that if we can get to a point of just kind of, and I'll say to people all the time, and I think about this in my own life, I'll say, well, if my partner is this person for the next 50 years, hopefully, mm-hmm. can I, can I live with him the way that he is today? Right. And thankfully on most days that works out as a yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> on days when it doesn't, I just say, well, I'll wait until tomorrow and ask myself that again. Yeah. So, which, <laughs> but I think that you'll be happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that I think that we um, if if we look and say, OK, well, if this is who they are today and if they're not, for some reason, we have to say, well, how did we get here that this is not OK today? And it was five years ago or it was even six months ago. Like why? What what went on? Did I change? Did he change? Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think that's important for people to look at. And no, we can't expect them to change. Of course, you know, we always talk about you can't change someone else, you can only change your reaction in in that exchange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think people getting a grasp on that concept Mm -hmm. and understanding really what that looks like and trying it out Mm -hmm. is one of, is a great thing to be able to do in a relationship because it can really change your perspective, which is, uh, you know, which is really just uh, a projection, which is what we were talking about with all this AI stuff Mm -hmm. is people are projecting what they think is going on or what they think they need in this ideal. And we often project our ideals onto our partners. So in Mm -hmm. some ways, I mean, what, what, what they've done in these movies is create what we actually do in our real relationships. We often just project our ideals and we get disappointed and we have lots of divorces and everything Mm -hmm. else because we have this idea of what an ideal relationship should look like. And that is not 
what we as humans are, are really equipped for. We don't live in ideal circumstances. We all come from somewhere. We all have our baggage. We mm-hmm. all have things that have happened. And so does the person that we're with. And I think there's, um, I'm going to nitpick this, but I think that there's uh, uh, somewhere like 3% of time when you have couples that are together a long time, there's only like 3% of the time that they're actually together face-to-face where they're actually meet up on how they feel and mm-hmm. what they're matched on, how they engage and stuff and what they're ready for. So, you know, when we think about that, because we've got all those factors that play into who we are in a relationship coming into that, and I think that's, I guess that would be the biggest thing I would say would be missed in the AI, is that an AI doesn't have a history. Yeah, it doesn't... And, and the no history exchange. influences how we interact. So you and I are going to interact differently than how I'm going to interact with my husband and how I'm mm-hmm. going to interact with a close guy friend and how I'm going to interact with a girlfriend because we all come from different places. But a world of AIs around us, they're all going to interact with us the same way because they're tailored to us. Right. And then we really just, it would fall flat. I think that would be like a very nicely narcissistic existence yeah. though. <laughs> if I was really going to indulge the narcissistic part. That'd be pretty ideal, right? Everybody's right. there to serve you and nothing can go wrong in your life because someone will be something will be there to make you feel good well i so. think some people <laughs> operate that 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 way in real life now right i they, think that's why there's a lot of disappointment because right. they expect people to do that yeah everybody what you're getting in my way when you're getting on the freeway you know you yeah. took my parking spot you know you're not doing exactly what i want you should have known what i wanted and been able to deliver that to me what you know that's that's that you know that narcissism and and just focusing on everything that the world would be better if everybody else would change not that i need to do any changing right so, uh, be- before we go to that yeah. next clip that yeah. last clip that we had mm-hmm. there was a point of the guy talked about what he did, and I think that whole relationship is a good commentary on on people wanting ideal relationships because this guy who falls in love with his operating system, his day job is writing love letters for oh, people. Totally ironic. And, yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, so his whole world is spent writing these ideal love letters for strangers or people that have used him over the years. And that's the service that he works for. So yeah. it's that people have detached themselves from their own intimate human to human relationships in that movie to the point where they're having people write love letters for them. So I think the whole movie is like this fun little microcosm of commentary on how detached we can be if we really want to be in relationships. Because I think those services actually exist out there writing letters to people Uh, for you. I'm not sure about the love letter thing, but I would imagine it might be out there. He worked for beautifulhandwrittenletters.com. You know, oh. so, so he, he would write letters for 15 years about these families to each other. And it's like, what you just, what you've done is you've made everybody else devoid of the emotion. You're carrying the emotion. So he's carrying the emotion for these real people, you know, in yes. his day job. But at nighttime, he, he's sharing what is real emotion with, with an AI. Um, and, and because he can't, he can't, oh, you know, I gotta say her, it just really, as I don't know if it was a guy thing, but it just made me sick. It, and I think it was because of the feeling 
feelings part. You know, he was just such a, he was just so mopey and so, you know, this, yeah. this, this, I want to do whatever I can. I don't know. He just, he didn't, you know what he didn't have? He didn't have a self. He didn't have what he wanted. He was just kind of flotsam and jessam. He was just floating around a victim to whatever happened in his life. There was nothing, nothing proactive about his life. And the only way he even built this, this AI relationship was because it came to him. You know, he didn't, he was, he had yeah. nothing interesting in his life at all. So maybe that's why I didn't like him. Right. Well, that's even his ex-wife when they get together to, about the papers, um, kind of rips him to shreds about falling in love with an AI and talked about his his inabilities in their in their human to human relationship. Oh, let me um, let me let me throw yeah. that clip right in here. Oh. <laughs> so this is him talking. This is our I forget what his name is. It's it's not yeah. memorable. Um, he's 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 talking to his ex-wife as they sign divorce papers. So what's she like? Well, her name's Samantha, and she's an operating system. She's really complex and interesting. Wait. It's only been a few. I'm sorry. You're dating your computer? No, she's not just a computer. She's her own person. She doesn't just do whatever I say. I didn't say that. But it does make me very sad that you can't handle real emotions, Theodore. They are real emotions. How would you know what... Say it. Am I really that scary? Say it. How do I know what? How are you guys doing here? Fine, we're fine. We used to be married, but he couldn't handle me. He wanted to put me on Prozac, and now he's madly in love with his laptop. Well, if you'd heard the conversation in context, what I was trying to say... You always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of actually dealing with anything real. I'm glad that you found someone. It's perfect. Well, yeah, that's that's a good deal if you can get it, I guess. That's a great scene, because mm-hmm. it just kind of encapsulates what, you know, like what we would think is wrong with the AI, you know, concept of a relationship. Because, because, and it, I, I say without, without men, or okay, I will say this man, myself, um, without, if I wasn't in a relationship, it would be easy for me to dive into a narcissistic spin because I don't have to serve anybody else. I don't have to accommodate. I don't have to give. I don't have to modify anything about myself. I just have to live for the things that I want at the time that I want. And yeah, I probably have to go to work and the rest of it, but it doesn't make, it doesn't stretch me, make me grow or make me a richer, deeper person. It just gets to be more about me. And I think if you're not in a real relationship where you actually have to modify yourself, then I don't think you're, you're reaching, you're not growing as much and you're not reaching as much of your full potential. Oh, absolutely. What the wife says about, you know, just wanting her on Prozac and not having to deal with the emotions. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people, when they are presented with um, intimacy in relationships, a lot of times, you know, we, a lot of us don't know what that really has looked like. You know, you grow up and, and sometimes the, the examples aren't there of what a close relationship looks like. And so it may have been safer for someone like the character in the movie to push that away and, and welcome this tailored computer version. Yeah, it works. Uh, and, and it's safe. You never have to deal with rejection. Mm-hmm. There's that. I mean, you know, oh, except... Are we gonna play the scene where? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. I didn't chase the end. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Uh, 
I didn't want to spoil it. I think there was enough that we could talk about. But okay. but suffice it to say that uh, you know my my son was coming in as I watched her yesterday, and I'm like, oh, this Drek, this guy. Oh my yep. gosh, I what don't like he him because he's young, right? Oh yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, slow, oh, so boring. Um, but then I but then I did pull him back into the room and say, hey, look, here's the twist. Look at that twist. That's an interesting one. So you know, although you can't, it doesn't really play out in our real lives. It it was interesting, and they did get some an angle. Both of those, both both Ex Machina and um, her have have interesting finishes to the to the stories that you usually aren't yes. expecting. Yes. So, all right. So, so we went to um, what relationships do. Here's here's one, and I think this this definition of love has been around for a while. But here's a description from her. Are you falling in love with her? Sorry, you freak. No, no. I think it's. I think anybody who falls in love is a freak. It's a crazy thing to do. It's kind of like a form of socially acceptable insanity. Well, and love kind of is. I mean, I'm watching my 16-year-old, and he's got his girlfriend. And they've, I don't know how long they've been together, but seven, eight months or whatever. And, you know, they're, they're going to get married, and they're going to blah, blah. You know, and I, I remember that from being that age. Right. And I, I look at it, and I'm like, what are you doing not not that he shouldn't be in relationship not that he shouldn't they shouldn't spend as much time together but just that insanity look that he has in his eyes over her it's like oh you need to come back to earth son but but there's something exciting and fun about that too i mean there's something that drama that excitement i mean nothing is as exhilarating as those first loves date things and that i think as humans we're drawn to that excitement and but there but there's nothing else that can truly replace it people substitute you know Drugs, uh, porn. Say bungee jumping uh, was good. Yeah, <laughs> bungee jumping. You know that's that's good too. Uh, you know vacations, what whatever. Um, but right, there, you look for that stimulation that's going on when you first fall in love with someone. There's and nothing. You know better. that the brain lights up yeah. in ways that only get stimulated with feelings of love and excitement and the dopamine rushes, and mm-hmm. it's really a, a wonderful. Thing. And, and I, I would say that missing from AI is that potential for rejection. Yes. I mean, that is what it is, um, is that when we have these artificial uh, bodies, they there is no rejection. So it's safe. You can. That's when he says, I, I can't talk to anybody else, but I feel like I can tell you anything. Mm-hmm. It's because she's never going to reject him. Right. You know, he believes that, that this this is his true ideal love and she was built for him. So that's the end of it. Well, she already knows everything about him, right? That's, yes. you know, that's why like people feel safe in Nothing therapy. Be ashamed of. Right. Like in therapy, people can come and talk about what any, any weird, odd things that they would never say or crazy thoughts or, uh, you know, uncomfortable feelings. And they come in and they know they're in an environment that is designed to serve them, to help them get better and live a, live a better life. And nobody's ever going to go, oh, you think or did that? Sorry, our time is up. Pay at the door. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no rejection there. There's no right. rejection. Not that there's complete acceptance for everything because really what they're doing is, is, is when they put their mental health and relationship uh, health into our hands and they come to see us, they're saying, help me make the best decisions for mm. me and my relationships in my life. Not the ones that make me happy or are easy, um, but point out the things that I just can't see because I'm in the forest. 
Yeah, it's a relationship. It's not an yeah. artificial intelligence, it's an actual relationship. So I put this one down as real feelings or programming, and it kind of relates to um, what we were talking about with EMDR. Earlier I was thinking about how I was annoyed, and <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but I was really excited about that. And then I was thinking about the other things I've been feeling, and I caught myself feeling proud of that, you know, proud of having my own feelings about the world, like the times I was worried about you, things that hurt me, things I want. It's a terrible thought. Like, are these feelings even real? Or are they just programming? So are these feelings even real? Well, now, now uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things, I think it was from Dr. Amen who does uh, brain scanning stuff. Uh -huh. uh, and he says, don't believe everything you think. Which is really interesting, right? It's like, oh, wait, if just because I thought it and I believed it, I can change it. But here she says, is it feelings or is it programming? And isn't that true for just humans too? I mean, do I really feel that way about that person? Or am I just, does my life experience teach me that that is what I like? Like, like I would say my son, he likes a girl. She's very strong in her opinions. Well, guess what? So is his mom. You know, so is it real feelings or is it programming? Well, and I think that that's a good point. And I think, yes, I think that we are programmed in certain ways. And I think it's great to also know that we can also reprogram ourselves mm -hmm. in certain ways at any time, as Dr. Amen talks about, mm -hmm. you know, that and, and I think of things always we have choices every day as to how we're going to think. Uh, and so sometimes that we're fighting against what we believe that we are programmed to know, but we definitely have a choice about it. But yes, I think mm -hmm. that we definitely as humans, we are programmed from all the influences that we have growing up to the point of where we are today um, that influence how we think about something. So if, it, but if it was just programming, if, I mean, if you knew that, that, that your husband loved you because of his programming, right, that, that you can, you could like fly into his history and look at, you know, this, he, you remind him of this person and that person, and you were just the amalgam of all his programming from his history, and you just were like the perfect woman for him because of all the different points of Well, of I data. am. Well, but... of course, of course. <laughs> but, but if you, would that make it any less sincere? Would that, it's like, well, of course you like me because look at, look at all these different pieces in your life that, that made what I have attractive to you. Is that, is that less appealing? I think that we have a bit of that with that added layer though for the who we are in the mm -hmm. here and now. So I think, yes, I mean, like all those things do happen. I know why he loves me and who I re represent and all that stuff. I mean, we do know that. Right. And, um, but then there's that added layer of who I am as human being that enhances, I guess, what he has as his notion of who he would love. Right. Same as any of us, I think. We all have like ideas of who we would fall in love with and what we like in relationships. And then there's these different humans that fit that part, you know, that walk right. into our lives. And that's a great thing when we, when we walk into that. Yeah. And the parts that, that we weren't attracted to or didn't know about or whatever, we try to change for the rest of the relationship and say, wait, 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 you're not my <laughs> ideal. Um, yeah, no. go, but, go, but if you're healthy, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't, I didn't bargain on that one. But if you're, if you're going to, to have a long-term relationship, I hope that people change. I hope that people grow. So I oh, hope yeah. my wife is not the woman I married, you know, so many yeah. years ago. 
because I think you can grow as a partner and you start to exchange beliefs, views, thoughts, ideas, and you have this shared history. And that's what you were talking about with AI. You don't really have a shared, well, you, you don't have a shared history. You may have a one-sided history if they can read all your emails and all your social media and all the, all the data that you've uploaded. Bye but they don't have a history. There is no history on that side where you're like, oh, I wonder who that person is. You know, that part that gets you curious about this new person that you're having feelings for. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that you're going to get. It's going to be like, oh, I showed up on September 2nd and there I am, you know? Uh, There's no, there's no, where were you in 1978, you know? And 1985. So... Well, that um, was one of the things that actually went in that movie, Her. It started to make me mad when she started to... Um, not be factual. Like they had this virtual sex scene, which yeah. it was just, you know, if you, for a woman, I'm sure it's great, but the whole screen went black and they just started moaning and talking. It was, <laughs> it I'm was like, a wait a minute. awkward sitting in a room with our friends. Yeah. yeah. You're like, but then you're like, wait a minute. That's to see as a, as a guy, one of the better parts is we like female bodies. We like female forms, you know? So you, they, after, but after they had this virtual experience, she became, coy he became hesitant they they started to like dance this dance like okay after this where do we stand with each other which was incredibly human i mean there's there's nothing ai about it but it started to make me mad i'm like just say what you mean stupid ai don't get all oh well i guess you're busy what what are you talking about you know you sound like a woman Right, because, you know, 24 hours ago, she knew what he was doing and what he was always thinking, but all of a sudden they had sex and it it became this, as you said, the hesitant, the insecurities come out that, as you said, are very human. But there's something exciting about that too, right? There's the dramas. People, you know, if if you knew exactly the responses that you were going to get from the different people in your lives... You know, you could just roll through your life. There's nothing, uh, nothing to keep you on your toes, nothing to make you work a little harder, nothing to make you self-examine or move forward in your own development. It's simply everybody responding as they should. Like I would imagine, like people like Michael Jackson and Elvis and people who are just mm-hmm. stars of stars that have yes people all around them that never question them, they never force them to grow. They just are, allow them to to go into their own decisions or narcissism, and yeah. they don't get pushed pushed by relationships. Well, even even on a on a everyday scale, I mean like yes, those people have the yes people around them, but I think we hear all the time about relationships where one person will say or someone will come to us individually and say, you know, or we hear among our friends, you know, oh, I just outgrew them, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't feel like that they grew with me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that they were um, in a re- or that they were bored in relationships. So, so I think I just went the opposite, but bored in relationships where they, um, where their partner just doesn't make any decisions mm-hmm. and they say, well, whatever you want, you know, and they're right. just the, the yes person. I think a lot of people get bored with those as their intimate partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they think... want someone that's going to challenge them a bit and they want someone that says, no, I really want to do this and we need to talk about it. Uh, as opposed to yes to everything, because I think you're you're wonderful. And if I say no, you're going to leave me. Yeah. I think as a matter of fact, I've worked with a couple couples in the past month who are, who are in the throes of divorce and they basically in their relationship agreed not to argue. So they, they didn't challenge, they didn't grow the, and that, but eventually they got divorced because it's like, well, first of all, there's a level, if you want to engage and argue with me, um, and debate, 
then there's a passion that we have. There's, there's a connection. There's an involvement. If you can just turn around and walk down the hallway and you don't care anymore about what I'm talking about, then there's no engagement. There's also no resolution, right? You just kind of mm-hmm. keep going. You stop talking about whatever it is and you kind of section off that part of your lives and like, well, apparently we don't agree on that, so we're not going to talk about that. Apparently we don't agree on that, so we're not going to talk about that. And you end up with this real narrowing of experience because you can only talk about the things that you guys agree about and anything that you have a difference, forget it, we're not talking about it. And that ended up and drew these people right to right to divorce. Right. And and I, I think I think secretly some days I always wish I had that sensor where I could just not turn on those things that, that we don't agree about in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I also know that that would be a really tough relationship to be in where nobody, uh, where you can't talk about certain things. I, I think walking around like that is a real sad way to be in a relationship. So you know, well, it becomes very lonely. That challenges my, my thought of don't try to change anybody else in relationship, right? I mean, if, if you never try to change anybody else's thoughts or behaviors, then are you really engaging in your relationship? Are you really showing up and saying what you want and representing your thoughts and ideas? Or are you just kind of laying low and avoiding conflict? Oh, well, those are two different things. So you can you can say what you want and right. it doesn't have to be, well, I, I want you to change. Right. Um, it, it can be just, this is this is what I'm thinking and they can either play along or they don't, but at least you're expressing yourself. So yeah, you have to, you have to, I call it showing up, right? You have to represent yes, yourself. Showing up. You have to, yep. you have to say what you want because, you know, my, my wife sometimes will assume that I know after 24 years what she wants. I, I don't. And you don't? I don't. After 24 years? I don't. Come on. I know. I, <laughs> Haven't I, I, you learned to read her mind That's yet? what I tell her. I said, <laughs> you know, I was probably sick on mind reading day at, at therapy school. Um, <laughs> all the things they taught me, there was no mind reading. But I'm great with a list. Give me a list. Write it down. I'll accomplish every single thing you want me to accomplish. Um, I'll buy you the gifts you want. I will give you the present. I will write notes. What do you want me to write in the note? I'll write that in there. But then I guess it's disingenuous, isn't it? See, and that would be my husband's worst nightmare. He'd be like, what do you want to do? Just give me a list? And I'll say, yes, yes. I do. Yes, it would be fine if you just pick some things off of the list someday. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's that's my point. But, you know, it it, 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 it does smacks of really not knowing somebody, right? If, if yeah. you, it, it, I'm, I'm a terrible gift giver because I, am, I verge on that narcissism. It's like, I don't know what they want. How am I supposed to know what they want? Well, have you listened to them? Have you watched what they do? <laughs> have you paid attention to anything that might excite or interest them? No? Could you write it down? I think I'm all right. <laughs> so, all right. So this is this is the last one, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Her AI is beyond doubt. Is it? She passed. Yes. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. Although, I gotta say, I'm a bit surprised. I mean, did we ever get past the the chess problem, as you phrased it? As in, how do you know if a machine is expressing a real emotion or just simulating one? Does Ava actually like you or not? Although now that I think about it, there is a third option. Not whether she does or does not have the capacity to like you, but whether she's pretending to like you. Pretending to like me. Yeah. Well, why would she do that? I don't know. Maybe if she thought of you as a means of escape. 
So that goes, yes, that was the ex machina, but it really brought up for me, genuineness in a relationship is so important. If you, like, like I imagine pretty girls suffer from this, right? Do they really want to get to know me or just be with a pretty girl, right? Or claim mm -hmm. a pretty girl. You could throw it on the other side, you know, rich guy, star, athlete, fa mm -hmm. famous, same thing. Are do they really like you or do they just like the illusion of you and they're trying to get you to like them so they can get what they want but not because of you and and that idea of the programming again mm -hmm. and where we come from and what we think we're supposed to like there's that too right. that people project that so, so right cause, yeah like, i would say like and some some guys just want to win right so you just want yeah. you just want to achieve the goal of having that person like you and then mm -hmm. once you do it's like okay on to the next thing i've achieved that goal she likes me and they move on yeah. right so it's just yes. ticking another thing off a list it's not real it's not genuine and um you know it's like if you had somebody who came to you as a friend and then all you found out was that they wanted to meet your friend because they wanted to date him it's like well, wait a minute that's just lack of genuineness and now you're just manipulating and now i feel used and all you've done is focus on what you want and you used me as a yeah. vehicle to get what you want and that that always feels bad like yeah and we hear all the time with people as they get uh more successful or they get famous and stuff like that people have to be on cautious as mm -hmm. to who who is who is really there for them um, so yeah, it's, uh, a tough thing. And that's where, again, with the humans like deciphering. So I guess the last thing I'd want to know is that if there was this computer built to have this ideal relationship with me, I wouldn't want to think it could fake it either. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of this great, uh, narcissistic experience right, yeah. is that you'd have to then worry <laughs> about anything. It was supposed to be there to serve you. And that's why I think in that scene, the guy is just so dumbfounded with this idea that it could be faking. Um, yeah, because she's involved with so many other, what, operating systems and other people, yes. right, at the same time. And he's like, Where goes, where's the ex exclusivity? And there's a part, and it's, it is a very male part of me that said, well, if she's not, if you're not losing anything, right, because she, her computer works so fast, she can talk to all these other people at the same time and is in love with 641 of them or whatever it is. It's like, well, but I don't notice a difference. So, and I say male of me because that's what guys use to say, well, I'm in multiple relationships and I'm, all of them are good. You know, right. they all think we're exclusive. But aside from that exclusivity, when we're together, it's great. Yeah, well... You know, that we as humans and in our uh, American uh, culture, we say, no, no, no. Exclusivity is a key to having an intimate relationship. Well, and you talk about being 100%, you know, like being able to be 100% emotionally connected, or even if you were 90%, but if you're spreading your love among a few people or many people, there's this idea that some would get less. And I know that there's all sorts of schools like polyamory and all that sure. stuff would say it's totally different. And I, I can respect people's beliefs. I know for... For, for many people, it would be hard to be present for so many oh. actual loves. It's hard to be uh, keep one wife happy. I don't know. Right. I don't know how anybody <laughs> else does it. But that's because yeah. I take the job seriously and I, I, I work at it. You I'm know, sure so. she will appreciate hearing that. Yeah, she doesn't listen. That's But, you know, I put it at the end anyway. So, <laughs> so well, um, I just, I thought yeah. it was fun in looking and thinking about doing this show with you. I found out, and you know, like I did a whole episode on virtual reality and got to have a virtual reality experience. Yeah, I heard that. That was amazing. 
Yeah, and that was so fun to to do that and put the glasses on and have the experience. And now, you know, I just in kind of thinking about this, found out that there's actually like we're getting closer to kind of joining in the AI experience, mm-hmm. and that there's actually this Microsoft Hololens is augmented reality, and so it's like wow. virtual reality glasses okay. with an added layer where you're going to actually have extra details and data about what's in front of you in your vision sight. So, so it's kind it, of what what Google Glass wanted to be, where right. you could be walking around, look at the Eiffel Tower, and it, and you say, facts on Eiffel Tower, and all of a sudden, it's facts about you know its origin and who made it and you know yeah. what the history of it is and all those things. So that these glasses do that in your regular life, right? Yes. So you can yes. look, look outside and it'll you know say, what's the dew point? And it'll say, all right, here's the dew point for, for your exact spot. And, you know, well, what, what, what year car is that? Or, you know, just all this factual stuff. But do they overlay like, like can, you get, can you use it for a video game where it's like guys are coming in your window and you got your fake gun and you're shooting them and that type of thing? Or is it just augmented reality at this point? I think it's just augmented reality, but I really don't know enough to speak about that on it. But I just think it's it's this whole idea, though, that we're moving closer to trying to merge with computers ourselves. I right. mean, like, you know, the, the, the Apple Watch, like, I'm, yep. I, I think they're all neat, and I love all the data collection and all that stuff. I've resisted getting a, a one of the watches, though, because mm-hmm. I just couldn't imagine text messages popping up on my wrist and being that connected. So I haven't indulged, but I think it's all cool. I love all the gadgets. I have, this, I have one of those watches. Um, it's not an Apple Watch. It's a Galaxy Gear watch. And oh, yeah, yeah. I enjoy it because... I get alerts for the text. And most of the time I can look at the text and go, eh, not important right now. But also I don't get pulled to my phone on things that aren't text, right? Texts are number one, right? That's the number one way I communicate. But if it's just a Facebook post or a Twitter, whatever, those things can go go to the rear of the line. And I don't get alerts on those. The big thing, the reason I like my, my watch is because I can use it to find my phone. <laughs> so oh. it's like, where's my phone? Or sometimes I drive it up the street and all of a sudden um, it vibrates Bluetooth connection lost. I'm like, oh, I left my phone at home. And so I go back. Uh, so, so it's really not, not the things it that it keeps was. You, yeah. It gets you disconnected actually from the phone, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And I can, yeah. I can set my phone down in the living room and um, I, it'll, I'll, I'll be able to just not, not go to my phone because I know that anything important is going to come through on my wrist. So, you know, it, but that's really not what it's designed for. It's designed for a lot yeah. more of a connection. Yeah. And I actually like the ones, I think the, the galaxy has the, um, data collection on the exercise and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I like all of them for those kind of things, but yeah, but I just think it's also one of these ways where holding a phone all that time wasn't enough. So people put the, 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 the data watches on right. and now we've got the glasses and, I just think we're we're moving to an area where we're going I don't know. I think it's because I, I believe in the one-on-one connection. I think mm-hmm. we're moving to a place where we're going to have like a, a conundrum about how do we stay very connected when we can have all these virtual experiences. Yeah, you can have a full quasi-social life without running into any people it for, for days or weeks at a time. And you can feel somewhat social and somewhat connected and you look at all the likes and all the responses and the communications that you have, but you're right. There's a depth of human connection that's missing that mm-hmm. you can't get for all your Facebooking and, and other social interactions. There's nothing like sitting around a table and having a meal or playing a game or having whatever conversation. There yeah. is, it is different. There are different muscles, um, similar, but not the same at all. 
So I don't think we'll ever, I think actually what, what this what this connection of computers and um, human, you know, this kind of singularity where we're blending, I think it'll actually put a premium on human relationships. And some of those those peripheral human relationships that we just kind of tolerated, we'll drop those ones. But the real ones, the friends and the, the family that you want to see, um, and the other people that are important in your life, you will choose them even more strongly because you've kind of gotten your peripheral, uh, what is it, small talk out of the way through your virtual world. And then when you get together with real people, hopefully, if our teens are raised correctly, they haven't learned the skill, they haven't not learned the skill to talk. Because my kid does a lot with computers, and there's we could have a whole nother episode on this. Um, but but a lot of times his friends will just kind of like stand around. I'm like, okay, is anybody going to talk? Anybody have a conversation? Yeah, to know how to interact. Yeah. So as long as we don't lose that, I think um, you know human race can be saved, and it can be saved just by listening to your podcast and uh, my silly podcast. But what's what's your podcast again for those who people who know you now and want to want to subscribe? That's right. It's the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, and you can find it at coachingthroughchaos.com or on iTunes. Just look for Coaching Through Chaos. And we've got 24 episodes, and episode number one is that virtual reality experience if you're interested in, in checking that out. Used for treatment also, right? With, oh, well, that's what, yeah, yeah. And, and that was done because they're using it to treat veteran, um, treat military, like, right on base after trauma happens, yeah. um, to treat the trauma, and then they're also doing it for phobias, and um, so I got to do the virtual reality of the war experience, oh, wow. um, of just getting acclimated to it. Nobody shot at me. No call, you're not doing Call of Duty, you know? You were, no, <laughs> you I thought were... they were setting me up for that, and at some point, <laughs> I, I was so anxious, and they yeah. said, no, no, we're not gonna, we're not going to shoot you during this I said oh okay yeah, no, no, no sniper rifle I heard on Radio Lab one time that they actually did um, they electronically stimulated the outside of this person's skull and their accuracy for snipering after never snipering that went up like 30% or 40% just on electrostimulation on the brain. To me, that's a little scary because I don't want anybody shocking my brain, however mild it is. I don't care if I get better. I'm then holding a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Shock me and hold. I'm holding a gun. No thanks. But uh, but no, I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts. They're always really interesting, which is really how we connected. Um, yes. And um, I'm glad we got to do this one because it's nice to have a female voice and um, to have another person who thinks about human relationships as I do or even differently. But as much as I do uh, on the show. So I appreciate uh, you, you talking with me here. Yeah, and I've enjoyed yours as well. And you and Swanee talking about all sorts of things in life. It's just a lot of fun some days. Great silliness. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we're signing off. And, That's uh, right. For the podcast and from Coaching Through Chaos, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back, what, every week, right? Yes. Well, I'm coming back in January. and But, but the people can find the first 24 online right now. All right. you got 24 episodes to hold you through to the new year. All That's right. right. Th thanks again, Colleen. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.